Welcome to the Rockonomics Podcast, episode number 56. I'm your host, Dill, and we are going to break up our extended hiatus with two new episodes this week and next while we gather more content during the busy summer concert season. So please be patient, and we will be back on a regular basis soon. That said, we have a great new episode for you right now with guitarist Sean Hurwitz. Sean is in a unique situation where his two primary gigs could not be more different. One has him playing arenas and stadiums around the world with Enrique Iglesias, and the other has him rocking out in more intimate settings of clubs, theaters, and sheds with Smash Mouth. I met up with Sean before Smash Mouth headlined a town festival, and our conversation about his path from Israel to L.A. to stages around the globe went a little something like this. And what was the impetus for, you know, uh, a life in music? What was your initial, um, what, what, what initially grabbed you? My parents, uh, just listening to music nonstop. So my parents are from New York. Um, I want to say Bronx and Queens. Are they born? Are they born, yeah, in, born and America? raised in New York? And they felt that um, as Jews that were, you know, um, they felt that as Jews that are, um, you know, learning about Judaism and going to Hebrew school or whatnot, they felt, you know, they're always, they're always singing about Israel and talking about Israel. And it's just like they, they kind of got together eventually and said, well, why are we not in Israel? Like, what are we doing here? Talking about, uh, you know, you know, like next year and built Jerusalem. It's like, let's go to Jerusalem. <laughs> so they followed their dreams um, and I attribute a lot of that. I know it's not it's not your question yet, but I right. attribute a lot of that to my path as well because I did exactly what they did. Right. I they I, to, I led they, they they led by example and I followed. I mean, they followed their dream. You know, left all their friends, family, everything, and went and built a family in Israel. Uh, they arrived in '78, made Aliyah. Which I mean, do you know you know what that means? It I just do means know. They, they made Aliyah. Uh, well, it's uh, it's just a term for basically they immigrated there. Okay. Officially, you know, they accepted by Israel, and um, and that's it. Uh, learned more Hebrew and uh, raised a family. I'm the first of uh, four, and uh, yeah. Did they have extended family there? In Israel, at this point, 100. Um, I don't know if back then they had anyone there. Right. It was in 78. Which makes the move that much more drastic. Yes. Yeah. yeah. For sure. Yes. Okay. Um, so, I'm sorry. What was the question? Oh, right. So, so they moved there, um, and they were just always into music. My parents were very um, just hippie-ish. Yeah. Still are. Okay. It's good. And, uh, yeah. Um, and we always had music. I mean, I grew up with Clapton and Tom Petty. And uh, I don't everything they brought with them from New York. I, I, you know, their childhood, their teenage years, their all that they brought to to the car in right. Israel. So I really didn't know a lot of Israeli music, uh, but I knew a lot of uh, a lot of Clapton. I knew a lot of uh, Tom Petty. I knew a lot of other ones. I'm not thinking about right now. Then, um, at a certain, they had two guitars. Each one of them had an acoustic guitar. And when I was 11, to the best of my recollection, when I was 11, mm -hmm. I asked my father to teach me a few chords. And he did. And I gave up real fast because 
you're a drummer, but have you ever tried to play guitar? It's not yeah. easy. Well, you <laughs> gotta build up the calcium. Yeah, you really got fingers. to. And at 11, I was like, yeah, no, yeah. I'm good. <laughs> um, but, so that was my first experience with that. He taught me some chords, and then um, when I was 13, for whatever reason, I think, oh, no, I, I do remember, MTV hit. Okay. Just about the MTV era. There was cable in Israel. MTV, my mind was blown. And, um, I remember my first love was Michael Jackson, uh, Black or White. That video was just, oh, yeah. I mean, I mean my mind was, I'd never seen anything like that. I never even heard anything like that. And everything was just insane. And then, so, so there were a lot of bands back then that summer. I think it was 91, something, 92. But, um, but when Bon Jovi put out Keep the Faith, that was my, wow. Oh, wow, Watching Richie Sambora uh -huh. in that video, just all of them looking super cool, walking down Jersey streets. I assume it was in Jersey. I don't know. I mean, it was just, again, they blew my mind. And I was like, okay, I'm, I think I'm going to give this guitar thing a shot again. <laughs> but yeah, that's the story of that. So how did you go about it? Did you end up taking lessons at that point? Or you, well, you got, um, your, your parents knew enough to get you started? They definitely knew enough to get me started. Um, they sent me to a few lessons. I think... I never was on a structure with guitar. It was mostly watch and learn, ask mm -hmm. questions and learn, um, try and figure it out yourself. Right. But I definitely did take some some lessons here and there. I remember probably two th two teachers that come to mind right now. Short periods of time, maybe mm -hmm. a few months here, a few months there. But the, the basics were my parents. My parents taught me the basics. And I'm assuming, like teenage years, did you have friends around you that were either you know played the drums, or did you have people you can immediately point to and get together with, or did you kind of have to look for that? Yeah, well, that's the thing, man. When I got to when I got to high school, suddenly um, it was a whole new bunch of people, and I was at the beginning of my music, uh, well, being a musician Your and journey. Yeah, beginning of the journey, and yeah, so many, so many great people I had around me, uh, which was, you know, some people really, I, I had people that were better than me, and for me that always seemed to, I, I don't get, I'm not, I'm not, I don't look at someone and be like, man, he's so good, I gotta beat him. Yeah. I'm just like, man... I wish I could do that. <laughs> like it kind of puts me down, but I get past it. You know, at the beginning, I'm just like, oh my god. But then I get past it, and uh, and I learn from them. And I ended up. I mean, my first band was in, in my teenage years. I think, I think, if I'm not mistaken, and I'm about ninety nine point five percent sure of this, um, my first show. Um, I I it, we only played once. I played Stairway to Heaven. I was the rhythm guitarist. Okay. There was an amazing, <laughs> amazing guitar player at the time, Ariel Ken, which is now a, an artist in Israel. I think he's in Israel, but but I know he's an artist. He's been for a while. And he just blew my mind away. That guy was... You know those guys that play and it's, they, they don't even look like they're trying? Yeah, yeah. I'm sure he practiced a lot and he tried a lot. You don't get that good that easy. But he was really good back then. I met... Uh, yeah, I, I had... Uh, Michael Ababu is a... Michael Ababu is a drummer that I played with. And I remember all these guys that I played with back then. Very influential. They got me... So Ariel got me into uh, Zeppelin and uh, so many other things I can't think of right now. But I... I there was MTV Europe. Mm -hmm. 
And then a few years later, I got introduced to the to, to Hendrix to okay, some more classic stuff. To some more classic stuff because that's what he was listening to. Yeah, and then uh, Chovav, uh, another guy was listening to uh, Chovav and Baruch. They were listening to um, Metallica. Okay. They were yeah. listening to all this stuff in those genres. So I got exposed to a whole bunch of new stuff. In the context of putting a band together, what did you want it to be? Did you want it to be harder rock? Did you want it to be more polished rock? Did you, know, what kind of, did you want to be more Metallica or more Bon Jovi? Bon Jovi. Okay. I mean, I, I love both bands and learned so much from both, but I wanted, at the time, I wanted to be the guitarist to the, bon jo- to, to the John Bon Jovi. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be Richie Sambora. So, yeah. So you're, so you're in your high school years, so you're not too far away from making a big life decision of, you know, becoming a musician or, a, I guess, whatever, a fallback maybe. Did you go to university? I didn't go to university. Um, I, I, I did go, well, university, it's a good point. It's university there. I didn't go to that. I went to sound school for okay. two years. Um, so... Is that like studying engineering, like sound engineering? Oh uh, yeah, sound engineering. So I studied basically it was a studio, live, TV, radio, and post production. Oh great! Jeez. So I studied. We covered everything. Uh, it's in Tel Aviv. It's called uh, Sound by Yoav Gira, uh, and uh, I studied there for a couple of years. Um, I started working uh, like three months into it. I they, I they asked, "Hey, is there anyone here that would like to work in the industry?" And I was like, uh, "Yeah." me and uh were there any other hands (laughs) yeah i'm sure there were but uh, so i this was in tel aviv i lived in jerusalem not when you're looking at america it's not a big tribe when you're young in israel it's it's a different city but here it's like a different neighborhood or at least in la right um it's a 45 minute drive and you're there but um but that's where economics come involved. Do you have your own car? Do you have a way to get uh, to and Well, from? In, in Israel, it's a lot of, uh, a lot of buses, okay. a lot of bu- which is also sort of why I left, because buses were blowing up left and right. But we'll get there. Um, uh, yeah, so I studied there. I started working about three, four months in. I started working in a live sound company, Hakesho uh, Musicali, a musical connection, in Jerusalem. Okay. And that just... I, I didn't do the army in Israel. Um, I had a lot of, not a lot of health problems, but I had really bad knees. Uh, I still have insanely bad eyes. I was in bad, it, it, w- it wasn't the right fit for me. Right. And um, they agreed. So I spent those years, uh, by the way, totally my, my parents uh, pushed me to that direction, uh, which I thank them very much for. If I haven't done that yet, I officially thank them. Um <laughs> And I did that for a few years, started working in live sound about three, four months into that while I was studying as well. And uh, yeah, that opened up a whole new world to me, which is a huge part of my career. Huge part of my career. So was that, and how so? Was that exposing you like at live sound? Are you, are you behind the scenes at putting on concerts of, you know, every, every musician that's passing through? Yeah. Um, exactly. Basically. Uh, I started from not knowing what the difference is between a speaker cable and a mic cable and I just took it all in and listened to my mentors back then mm-hmm. um, a few people that I just owe so much to because they just kind of took me under their wing um, 
And uh, so I went from not knowing the difference between a mic cable and a speaker cable to within a few years, you know, running my own teams and being in charge of a project. And here you go, you got a 19-year-old, I think I started when I was 17, 19, 20-year-old with a, with a, 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 you know, a long hair mohawk, not necessarily standing up, but, you know, a hawk, a bunch of piercings, he's in charge. You know, you're you're in. I was doing everything from shows to to high school shows and stuff uh-huh. like that, bar mitzvahs, everything. And, and here you are, and you're the client, and you spoke to this company, and here they send this twenty year old, and you're just like, I don't. How am I? Sp- does this guy know what he's doing? He's. This is my event. I've been planning this for a year, and that's one of my one of my biggest things is psychology. Uh, my boss back then, Julio, did he? He was like. He was a mentor to me. He's one of the guys that I owe so much to because he taught me how to deal with a lot of stuff. The musical connection was my, not to compare directly, but it was my training. It was my IDF, if you will, Mm -hmm. without a lot of violence and guns and stuff. But I learned a lot about psychology. And he told me even back then, he's like, Shahar, which is my name, he says, 70% of this job or 80% of this job is psychology. When you go on to that gig, they need to know, you need to make them know that you got it. They could worry about the food, the catering, they could worry about the fact that these people aren't ready, those people aren't ready. The sound and lighting, don't even worry about it, I got it. That's what they need to feel when, you are, when you're there. Whatever we got to do to make that happen, that's 80% of the job. 20% of it is doing a good job with sound, solving things really quick. But... I, that has been something that's taken me, and, and that's still to this day. When I get on stage, one of the reasons I get hired to get on stage is because when I get on stage, you know the guitars are good. You don't have to worry about that. You don't have even if something happens, a guitar stop, doesn't matter. I got this. You perform, you don't have to worry about the guitars. Right, they're going to be great. That's interesting. What do you do to that initial insecurity? The person who's hiring you for you know if they do if they are seeing you only as a who's this you know mohawk teenager you sent me yeah is there anything you can do right away just to put him at ease yeah or, yeah i got rid or of the just, mohawk what, yeah. <laughs> i like, got rid of that yeah just so i can relate to people a little more uh in in that um position right <laughs> uh, i think that's one of the things that helped out a lot um Yes, there's an answer to that. It's very different in Israel, and it's very different in America, and all over the world. It's very different. But you have to click into whatever... You know what? You mentioned when we started um, talking that people like to talk about themselves, which I think is a known fact. But listening is a whole other thing, and you need to listen. And I learned that. Listen to their concerns, and then alleviate them. Yeah, and you know what? Another... Another... another, um, of that another uh, version of that when I joined when I came to America which we'll get to but but in this per- for, for the purpose of this um, example I went to work at Guitar Center and uh, Jason Crane the store manager at the time he basically said um, don't just when someone comes in to buy something you don't just sell them whatever you want you just just don't you don't just sell them the upgrade you qualify first thing you do is talk to people which for me was uh, terrifying. I, I, and in English, I mean, I had English. You, you know, I don't sound like I'm from Israel, but English was not a language I spoke right. that much other it's than still a home. second language. Yeah. 
um, and just talk to strangers. I, I would never do that in Israel. I, it's just such a different mentality, which I love. But he said, yeah, so the, one of the first things in, 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 in Guitar Center was talk to someone, figure out what they have, figure out what they don't like about that stuff, what they do like about that stuff, see why they're in, see if you can offer them a, um, a, a, a solution, right. you know? You're not the, so because if not, you're just selling them something they don't necessarily need. It's just going to come back. There's just going to be a return on your day off. Yeah, you're just going to come back and be like, "Who returned what?" But if you actually listen to people and figure out what their concerns are and address those concerns, it, problem solved. Yeah, and that was the attitude. That's what I learned on the job with with live sound. That's I mean that's interesting to me because in the context of music. In the context of a guitar center, there probably is a lot of people that think they know what they want when it's actually not even close to what they need. Yeah, true. <laughs> right. Um, well, let's get to you getting stateside. But, but I guess first, what, what was your? You know, I assume you're still you're still active in bands and but when well, uh, when you're then? still in Israel, yeah. When you're so 19 that's, yeah, that's old. a that's a great question. So I at, at about. 17, I fell in love with audio. Um, music was no longer something I necessarily wanted to do. And my mother, in case I forget to say this, my mother actually got back me, got me back into music. Oh, but, um, but yeah, I fell in love with audio. You know, the, the internet was available in Israel. I was doing research. How do you mic drums? What do you do this? What's this? What's that? What's the best way to... What's a great EQ? I was, I was fascinated with this. I was all in, 110%. And, um, like I said, I, I climbed the ranks real quick, um, and at a, at a certain point I started working in what we call a backliner there, which here would be your stage tech, the guy that sets up the drums and sets up the guitars and sets up everything. There's one guy, usually, that does everything for the band, and then texts the drums, texts the guitars, texts the keys, texts whatever it needs to be uh, taken care of. Um, I was that guy for a few years, and again, that was a... That was a really on a business level. So I had been a, a team leader, right? And let me, let me uh, I'll, I'll give you the visual. Uh, it was 3 a.m. I'm 3 a.m. I'm in the warehouse. We're loading up a truck. Me and the team driving to Haifa, probably about two and a half hours away. I want to say from Jerusalem, maybe less. Um, it's I don't know 7 a.m. 8 a.m. We start loading up things to City Hall. I want to say there was City something. It was the name of the big club there. There was a show that night, so we're setting things up all day. Sound checks at about I don't know. I want to say four, six, something like that. Mm -hmm. So I'm working all day. By the time the band gets there, I am beat. Right. Um. I got to hand over the system to the sound guy and everything. In fact, I think I was... Well, anyway. With the band comes this guy, their backliner, which I had never noticed before, named Uri Moll. And I was like, this is fascinating. Hang on a second. This is fascinating because I'm not going to get home till next day at 4 a.m. So for me, it's a 24-hour job. This guy is probably making more money than me, carrying way less than me, responsible for way less, and probably is going to be working for max 10 hours today. And it looks like so much fun. He's running around, changing strength. So I talked to him. I said, Uli, what's... So I met the guy. I was like, hey, which is basically my life story. This is how I get into things. I'm like, dude, this looks fascinating. What? Tell me about it. I'm, I'm all ears. 
just tell me about it. And he told me about it, and I was like, okay, this sounds great. I, I'm getting into it. And that's it. And then one of my mentors, uh, Guy Margalit, Guy Mar, at the time, he, what, he, one of my mentors in live sound, he mm -hmm. was a great engineer, still is a great engineer, but he's in a band called Hadag Nachash. Um, and a big, big hip-hop band back in the day, still doing amazing things today. He used to do sound for them. And then he's also a DJ. So they eventually asked him, hey, would you come join the band? Uh, and there's a little more to that, but uh, he joined and I said, hey, is there any chance you guys could use a backliner? And they're like, yeah, sure. And that was my first gig. And so I was bouncing around between um, engineering, lighting, backlining. Right. I was, I had a career. But you, yeah, I was going to say you're becoming very meshed into... Oh, know, yeah, dude, there were uh, three guys... Hand, the three main guys handling all the bands in Israel, all the backliners, uh, all the bands in Israel, three three backliners. It was Uli Mol, uh, Dror Mohar, and me. And that's it. We shared all of it. We took care of everyone. If he can do it, I would come into it. Mm -hmm. If I can do this. It, and I was on all the stages. I was either the backliner, I was the sound guy, but I had a career that I was good to go. Where's music? Exactly. You, you, where was I playing with bands? No. At a certain point, I don't remember what age, but since I came here, I came to America at 23, is probably 21, 22, my mother asked me, she saw how great I was doing, she saw I was working my, my tuchus off, as right. we say. <laughs> um, and she said, she came into my room, I remember, and she said, uh, Shahar, you know, remember, I mean, you wanted to be a musician, and I'm just curious, do you see yourself schlepping gear at, you know, 35, 45, like, is this really what you want to do? Um, that made me think. Were there your contemporaries around your age, too? You know, the three of you? Yeah. Okay. So no one, what, you weren't looking at somebody like, well, he's, you know, he's doing it. He's must be 30, 40 years I, old. I, I definitely, my mentors were definitely older than me and were doing it very successfully. And I was down to schlep gear, still am. But, um, but she asked a good question mm -hmm. and just sparked that thing. And then that together with um, I was doing a sound job at just a tiny little bar in Jerusalem. My friends were playing. I was on the side of the stage. I remember it vividly. I'm on the side of the stage, a tiny little mixer. My friends are playing on stage. Other friends are in the crowd. And I'm looking left and right, left and right. I'm looking at the crowd. I'm looking at the band. I'm looking at the crowd. I'm looking at the band. I'm like, wait, I... I wanted to be on that stage. What happened? <laughs> and I went to my friend who was working at the Klezemel, the, the local guitar center, if you will, in Israel. And I said, he was in the crowd. And I said, dude, how much would it cost me? Because the guitar that I had back then, which my father bought me, uh, I, I really wanted this Jackson. And it was great, but it had a floating bridge, which if you don't get set up right, is just a cause for, okay, I can't play the guitar right now. It just doesn't sound right. It doesn't feel right. I was like, how? I went to Chaim and I said, how much would it cost for me to just get a Fender Stratocaster, standard USA? Because I knew Clapton played it. Mm -hmm. I knew it would just sound good. And he told me how much it costs, and I think I went that week and I bought one. And but you had the means to do because you I had, had the a means good to do yes. job for the last mm -hmm. two, three years. And from there on, I started. Yeah, I started playing with bands. You know, I missed a big part though. When I was 
15, 16, as I was also doing sound, uh, I was, I wasn't in bands, but I was, uh, well, I had started sound when I was 17, but from 15 to like 20, I was playing in a studio. Um, I had met, there was this place called Baitcham, uh, Warm House, uh, for youth, for you know, the freaks, the punks, the guys that are hanging out, drinking, doing drugs, whatever, hanging downtown. And this was a place that kind of took them in if they were homeless, or took them in if they just wanted to be somewhere without doing the drugs. Here's some instruments, here's a Give way, some, to do, some art, the yeah. And one of the guys that I met there, Avital, was, I had a band there, uh, you know, I met other people, I had a punk band there, Hamapecha, um, the Revolution, and, um, and Avi was one of the mentors there, he's one of those guys, and he, um, he kind of was, he had, a, he had just built a studio, and I, I, be, I sort of became, at a very young age, I became the in-house guitar there. Oh, wow. Which I learned so much, you know, um, who was it? I was listening to your podcast. Who are you in session? Are you oh, doing Shulman. It was Shulman. Oh, okay, Mark. Yeah, Mark Shulman mentioned the click thing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, 100% about everything that he said, su- such amazing, I mean, he really said so many really wise things, um, but the click thing is huge. I was on a click since 15. I learned it. And that's one of the things that has given me... Um, like an internal I, clock? Yeah, well, or, internal clock would be... One, one, no, but that's not what... It gave me It gave me the edge, an advantage. Because okay. it's a few things he mentioned. He mentioned the click, and he mentioned you could practice 20,000 hours a day in your room. Uh, um, you know, 20,000 hours in your room. If you don't get on stage, that it's an experience. You, you can't get that experience unless you're on stage. Yeah. The experience on stage, the uh, on stages as an engineer, the the click, the internal clock, seeing so many bands play together, learning from the inside how they work, uh, learning about audio as well. I have so I had so many things in my life that were giving me an advantage. Little did I know, when I got to America, they would be a, a, an amazing advantage for me. Right. Well, it's funny you said that because one of my I have a a quote that says your trademark attention to detail. And I was going to ask you where does that come from. That I think that's your answer. You've got such a depth and so many different layers of experience that have to do with music and the ecosystem of music. That absolutely, absolutely. So, so when I when I so attention to detail. When I I don't know get a gig, get on stage, whatever. Let's say get a gig. I pay attention to everything from how did this if I'm learning a bunch of songs let's just um, I each song gets the attention of how was it played originally how is it played these days on stage not only how is it played how is it how does the guy look when he's playing it is he running around on stage is he uh, having a great time or is he just somber by the mics but by the mic uh, is he sitting? Is he standing? I'm looking at everything. What are they singing? You know, I think I, I had actually, um, when I joined Enrique Iglesias, um, that was a good example because before I joined, I was I was learning this material. And 
I remember um, they sent me the material. I was learning everything I could with Smash Mouth. I didn't have that pleasure. I had, no one sent me anything. Randy, uh, the drummer, had given me some YouTube stuff to learn and some footage that he had from behind from behind him. But that's what I had to go on. Okay. So I, I was just kind of piecing it so all together. So you can see the back of the guitar if you need to. Learn. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I could hear some here and there. It's the little. Thing. You can see where his hand is on the neck. But yeah, so so other than so other than just. Um, other than so with Enrique, when I was learning this stuff, I learned all the material. I learned exactly what every part needs to sound like. I listened to the delays. I listened to the reverbs. Are they compressed? What what do we listen to on the EQ? I mean, what level? I, I go into detail. And then when I was done with that, I called the MD and I said, "Okay, what parts am I supposed to sing? Give me all the parts I'm supposed to sing." I learned all of them. And then I called him up. I said. Okay, so were there any moves on stage? And I remember that to a certain extent he was probably annoyed and to a certain extent he was impressed because right. I was taking every... I wasn't coming to this half-assed. I want to get up on that stage, no rehearsal, if, if no rehearsal is... If we can't Just do anything... over-prepared. Over-prepared. And that's, that's a showman thing. Mm -hmm. I heard, I was listening to him and... The, oh, yeah, over-prepared, 100%. I... I... To, to this day, when we're done with this, we're going to go have some food, and then I'm going to run the set. I played this set a few days ago. doesn't matter, because today when I get on stage, I want to know that it's fresh. I want to know that no matter what happens on stage, whether it's something crazy in a good way or in a bad way, doesn't matter. I got this locked in. I The last thing I want to think about, and this is from experience, I've been there. I'm playing a song, and I'm like, crap, the bridge... Uh, is that in the? Do I play it here or do I play it there? Right. Never. I never. I learned from. And another thing that Shulman talks about, and and uh, Jason Sutter talks about, is um, learning from mistakes. Right. Uh, and I, I've definitely learned, and I pay again attention to detail. Um, it's not just preparing for a show and then getting on stage and doing the show. It's also like, okay, here's what went wrong. Here's how we can avoid that in the future. Mm -hmm. It's funny about the attention to detail. One question that immediately comes to mind is with uh, either Enrique or I guess you know Steve's probably running the show for Smash Mouth. Is how many times are these guys like uh, an answer to your question is like beats the shit out of me. Like like but I know they appre they appreciate your you know you going to the minuscule details. But I mean, do you get a lot of that? Like I have no idea. You know, can they not answer your question or well, uh, about what uh, your I guess it goes back. Your attention to detail does it get so into the minutia that a lot of times people are like, I, they can't answer. It, it does, but you have to know who to ask. So that, that brings us to a very that, that, that brings us to connections. That brings us to networking. That brings us to that's a great segue uh, for that because when I came into Smash Mouth, Randy uh, called me and said, "Hey, are you available?" So Randy is Randy Cook, uh, the drummer right now for Smash Mouth, and uh, dear dear friend for ever. And um, the guy that brought me into Smash Mouth in 2011, he called me up. He said, hey, you available? I said, yeah, because when Randy calls, I'm available. I want to play with that guy. Um, I wasn't available. I had, I had some stuff I needed to cancel. <laughs> but yes, I'm available. Uh, and then I had five days total to learn an hour and a half set. We were going to uh, Iraq and Kuwait to play for the troops for two and a half weeks. And um, when I arrived... We had one rehearsal-ish. We played like a third of the set. They were like stoked. Yeah, we're good. Let's go grab some food. 
Um, but the person that I impressed, so you asked me who, who do, do, do you talk to Enrique about it? Do you talk to Steve? I talked to Enrique about certain things. I talked to Steve about certain things. But when I wanted to know about sound, I went to Eddie Kaipo, the audio guy. Right. And I said, Eddie, you've been working with Smash Mouth for a long time. You see or hear anything up there that needs to change, you tell me. Anything. I'm talking the delay needed a little more feedback. The verb needs to, can you put it on a plate instead of a spring reverb? There's just a little bit of that, a little bit of anything you hear, just let me know. Because I want to know. Mm-hmm. I want I want to do a great job. I didn't have a lot of time to prepare for this. I had three days, and then the fourth day I ran a set with Randy, and then fifth day I was on a flight. Um Anything, just let me know. And I, I come from audio, so right. we're speaking the same language, which he, in time, I learned, really appreciated. Yeah. Him. I was going to ask you that. Do you tend to bond with, you know, you've ha- you've held so many positions behind the, you know, or below the stage, or, you know, that do you eventually, people f- hear about that, find out about that, or just by the way you, you're, you can speak their language and that you, you can see that the respect is there? Well, as an ex-audio engineer, um, ex-live audio engineer, some people, I can tell you the answer, and I've experienced it. Some people might, you know, I might come up to someone and say, hey, by the way, you know, I'm audio, so blah, blah, blah. Some people might take it like, oh, great, he's going to tell me when it's a little too dB less than the 630. Or, are we all? Yeah, exactly. But some people really appreciate it because I know what I want, and once you've worked with me, you know I know what I want, yeah. so if I just tell you, hey, can I have a little 2 dB less of this, yeah. 2 dB more of that, and just can you can you put like a high shelf, just just a little, give me give me 2 dB high shelf from 16 You're not, you're not the that. customer in Guitar Center who, yeah, doesn't, who doesn't know. I know I know what's gonna. I thankfully I know what's gonna make it better. Um, but by the way, uh, so Eddie Kaipo eventually is we bonded. Uh, and eventually, he's the guy that put my name into the hat for Enrique Iglesias. Okay. And that's the, that's the networking thing together with the attention to detail. Like, Eddie's a attention to detail guy, and he loved the fact that I was open. I wasn't coming with an ego, which is a whole other part of the mm-hmm. thing. I know Shulman, uh, I think Shulman, Mark Shulman spoke about that. The ego has nothing to do with it. You know, you're coming in to do a job. Did the networking, was that something a mentor kind of told you to keep an eye on or be aware of or is that something involved with just your growth as a human? I think that's involved gro- uh, with my growth as a human. I think or that's more artist. involved with uh, with me reading a lot and um, in business and mm-hmm. people. Again, for me, coming from the only culture shock that I had, going from Israel to L.A., coming from Israel to L.A. was the culture. Right. Um, Everyone's. I, look, you could look at this a million ways, and my some dear friends of mine would agree with me one hundred percent, and some would fight me <laughs> on this. But I love LA. It's uh, everyone's. Uh, not everyone, but you know, I'm just being general here. People are just nice. It's it's a nice place. You know, I, I actually have a... Well, the weather. If, if the weather affects your mood... <laughs> yeah, 100%. But it's not just the weather. The weather was very much like Israel, so I was sort of used to it. Okay. But I, I don't know if you've experienced this. Have you ever really gone to L.A., moved there, anything like that? Uh, well, my previous life in advertising would put me there two, three weeks at a time. Uh, okay, gotcha. I don't know if you experienced this, and I don't know if other people experience this, but there is a certain 
dreamy feel to LA because there's so many people that come there to live their dream, right. to, to try and live their right. dream or succeed in their dream. It's just the, it's, it's, you know, America is a land of opportunity. LA is the city of opportunity or mm -hmm. it's the, the county of opportunity. It's just, I'm not necessarily talking about Hollywood, just Los Angeles in general has that vibe about it. It's beautiful. Yeah. You know, I'm in the valley. I'm surrounded by when you can see them and it's not hazy, the beautiful mountains, um, and and the, there's there's water this way. You go there an hour and a half. There's snow. You go there an hour and a half. There's water. There's the ocean. You go an hour and a half this way. You got amazing hikes. I mean, it, you just see so many people. It, it's for me. It's a it's an atmosphere. It's an energy in LA that I really really dig. It's just I feel like people are there to live their dreams. Yeah, no, and I get it that. affected me. Well, let's get let's get to LA through the lens of rockonomics. Okay, like how did you? You're in Israel. You decide you're going to try to live out your dream. Part of that is to move to L.A. Okay, I love getting into the minutiae of it, but it's like, how do you move to L.A. from Israel? Like, where are you going to stay? How much money do you need? Um, what connections do you have? What's the first phone call you're going to make when you get there? Like, tell me a little bit about that. Well, I'll, I'll start with... The, maybe the why. You uh, I'll, the yeah, why. I'll start with the why. Now, I always felt from, I, I want to say like age 15, 16, I just sort of always had a hunch that I would leave and end up in America. I wanted to go. I have an American citizenship. We all do because of our parents took, you know, took care of that. So, so I'm, I'm a citizen. I always wanted to take advantage of it. Um, I, I remember driving on the bus from Jerusalem to Tel Aviv going to sound school going by Ben Gurion airport and just seeing the planes take off and I was like oh there's something that feel I just felt like I belong on that plane man I there's there's something there um 2001 to 2004 I want to say it was the second intifada unfortunately Israel in that area has a lot of turmoil um and it, we were going through a very rough time uh, it was a time, I don't know if you know a lot about it, the Intifada, but uh, the, the point is, when it comes down to it, forget the politics, people are blowing up left and right. Right. There are, I, I'm, I was, I, at the time I was driving around, I had my own car. One of the reasons was because I was, I didn't need a car. You can get anywhere with, uh, with hitchhiking and, and buses in Israel. It's amazing public transportation, uh, a country for public transportation, but I, I was, I was scared. Right. Is that something parents do too? It's like, I'm going to get you a car, no more, you know, just for the safety of their children. Not that your parents bought you a car. But yeah, just, they, they didn't. I've always bought my cars, but I don't know. I, you know, when you're living there, it's you just kind of get used to it. It's terrible to think about it that way, but you, you're just in a war-torn country. You right. learn to enjoy yourself around. You learn to go enjoy your job. You learn to go enjoy your friends and everything. Could end tomorrow. Right. Um, more than other places. Yeah, so so I, I had just, at a certain point, I had enough of that. There was a, certain, a specific incident where I used to play at a, a bar called Mike's Place in Jerusalem. I, I met I met this, uh, when I was 16, I met this guy, uh, Glenn Wolf from New York. Uh, his name there was Gershon. He moved there. He'd go as a wolf man. I saw him on the street. Again, it's one of those things. I saw some dude on the street. I was just like, oh my God, this guy's great. He's singing, performing. ass off. <laughs> I got to talk to him. So I went and I spoke to him. And I spent a year being mentored by this guy. With him, I was on the street with him every day. I have pictures of me playing on the street on my Yamaha 12-string acoustic. I learned how to sing with him. I learned how to play. I learned how to perform sometimes. 
just watching him, I learned a lot. And um, uh, where was I? Um, so I learned a lot from that. We're, we're, we're having terrorism. You're getting, right. you're getting close to making right. oh, yeah. to New, uh, L.A. So I had played with him for about a year, and one of the places that we used to do was Mike's Place. Uh, filled with American students, a lot of people there, Israelis, Americans. It was like a really cool hang. And um, one uh, one day in um, 2000, when did I leave? I think it was 2000. Do you know when I left Israel? Uh, Do you have that? <laughs> um, when oh, 2003. 2003, I think. Yeah, uh, yeah. So 2003, um, April. Was it April? I think it was April. Um, a bomb goes off, uh, or a terrorist goes off, uh, 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 blows up right in front of Mike's place in Tel Aviv. Uh, on a boardwalk, um, kills one, or it kills a few people, to the best of my knowledge, and I even had a friend that got injured there. But what's going on in my mind, I'm listening to this as, as it's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just like, oh my God, I, I could have been there. Yeah, it hits close to home when it's Yeah, it really hits close. I mean, it's happened a bunch yeah, in, yeah. In, in Israel. But I'm like, at that point, I'm 23. And I'm just thinking, dude, what what are you waiting for? I know you don't feel like I'm talking to myself. I know you don't feel like you're ready to go from a tiny little lake into the ocean of musicians. I know it doesn't feel like the right time because you're not ready. But you could have your arm blown off tomorrow. Right. And you'll never know. You'll just never, never, ever know. Just go. And then two months later, I was gone. I waited for my brother. I wait, May was is like, a, there's a bunch of Yoma student, like a bunch of student stuff going on in Israel. So I made a shitload of money. I just worked 25 hours a day. And I made a bunch of money. And I booked a ticket. I waited for my, my brother Yoni, uh, who was getting married uh, at 19. and um, Or maybe he was 20. But anyway, he was getting married. And I left a few a week or so later. Where are you going to stay? Well, when I was playing on the streets in Israel with uh, Gershon, Glenn, um, one of the people that I met was Donna, which was walking by with her parents. They're from Amer- they're from Los Angeles. Her parents are Israeli. They moved to Los Angeles and had a child, Donna, and Donna Stern. And uh, then they moved back. We became very friendly. Uh, they'd be there every year, so I saw them a few years in a row, and they were sweethearts, just the whole family, all three of them, and they told me, if you ever want to come out, let us know, and that's the only people I knew in that <laughs> Um So I, I, when I made the decision, I called them and I said, hey, do you mind if I crash at your pad for a few days? And, I mean, long story short, um, Isla, her father, was uh, unfortunately had just been diagnosed with stage 4 cancer. Um, they were happy to have me. And he went around and helped me get a rental because I wasn't of age and I, uh, you know, for rentals and I didn't like have what? any credit. I think 24, 25, you need, I was 23. For, for a rent, for, for a rent, for, No, 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 uh, a car. For a rental car. Yeah, yeah. Like, I didn't have any credit. How am I get a phone? So Isla helped me out with all that stuff. And, um, yeah, to answer your question, because we want to get to when I landed, I, uh, or how how it went down I landed at 11 o'clock in the morning got to their place in about an hour uh, I took a shower I ate and my next question was where do I get I need a car I need a phone I need a place to live and I need work 
where can I find those things? And they said, oh, well, you can just grab the recycling magazine down the street, uh, right down the street uh, in the gas station. Well, that's that was my first culture shock. Right down the street in Los Angeles is a half an hour walk. <laughs> it's a five, it's right down the street in the car. Not so much when you're walking. So that's the difference. That, that was my first, like, oh, L.A. is a lot bigger than, uh, than Israel. But that's what happened. I went, I grabbed the recycler. By 4 o'clock, I was marking down jobs. I was marking down uh, work. Um, what were you looking for? Something musically? Anything. Like, in, you know, you've got good experience already with live sound and with, you know. I was looking for anything. I okay. just, um, I needed to be, bring my, I came in with $10,000. I knew that would disappear very fast. And um, I I needed income. And was the first thing that uh, popped the Guitar Center gig? It's not the first thing that popped, but um, but that was the, my first job there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then from there, what was like um, you know what was your uh, you know what segued into bigger and better things? Well, my idea was to work in Guitar Center for about six months. That turned out into three and a half years. Um, I only lasted on the floor for so long, and then I spoke to my manager I mentioned before, Jason Crane, really great guy, I learned a lot from him about the culture, about everything, he's a very positive dude. Um, I, I told him, hey, I'm getting burnt down on the floor, I, I want to stay with the company, and there's an important um, business part to that as well, um, I'll tell you in a second. So I said, I want to stay with the company, um, but I'm getting burnt out here. Where else can you put me? I don't care. A, a warehouse, any other department. I'm just getting burned out here in accessories and guitars. And I became his assistant because I'm very uh, logistics-oriented and detail-oriented. So I was assistant for a long time, and then I went on to GC Pro, and uh, the point is I was there for three and a half years. Um, but why did I want to stay with the company? I, I just wanted to be there for six months. Well... Go on, on a business level, when I went to America, I knew, or when I came here, I knew that I was going to do one of two things. I was 23. I was giving myself till 30 or 33, either 30 is a round number, or 10 years, mm -hmm. around, another round number, to make money, to make a living as a musician. If it didn't work out by then, I needed to have, at that age, I needed to have my life in order. I wasn't going to start at 33 as if I had just landed. Right. So... I was looking for a company that I could grow with. Mm -hmm. I was absolutely all about growing with Guitar Center. But if I can go be a musician, awesome. I was just, I'm always hustling, which is the... A couple steps ahead. Too. Yeah, and you always, like, I do it to this day. I'm doing sessions with that guy. We got some licensing stuff here. I'm playing with Smash Mouth, playing, playing with Enrique. Always looking for the next gig, too. And always saying yes to stuff. Because... Um, yeah, I'm always looking to grow, and that was the thing. I feel like you you've taken a, a, a more pragmatic approach too, like and a smarter approach. And I'm wondering, there's some musicians that I talk to who are like, I, and they admit that they're lucky because they're like they really haven't something to fall back on. They didn't have Plan Bs, you know, Plan A just started work and got bigger and bigger and better and better. But do you find that too? Do you find fellow musicians that are like, you know, didn't have a Plan B or you know just 100%. Um, l well, let me tell you where the transition happened. Because I wanted to be John Bon Jovi, Richie Sambora, right? Where, where did the transition happen? Well, I did have a band when I came here. When I, I had a, a few guys in Guitar Center. But my main thought where it became a business for me was 
um, I was a manager. I was a, um, a department manager and, and my, just, well, at that point, a department manager in Guitar Center. And I was getting people working for me that were half my, uh, that I was half their age. Right. And I said, something is wrong with this picture. These guys are musicians. This guy used to work with so-and-so. This guy used to work with so-and-so. Why are they 40, 50 working at Guitar Center as, and me telling them, can you please go stock the strings? Right. That's interesting. What's wrong here? <laughs> I'm always, always looking at what what makes makes people successful and what what um, inhibited them uh, from getting there. Or, or Well, I mean, it's the same thing. We didn't touch this and we don't have to. It's, it's more of a business talk here, uh-huh. economics, right? But I've never had alcohol. I've never done any drugs. I've never smoked cigarettes. I've never done a bunch of things. And the reason is, we'll take alcohol for an example, or drugs. I just, uh, well, alcohol. I just never wanted to be the guy throwing up in the corner. Right. It just, I just, I saw it. I didn't have to um, experience it, as we say in Hebrew, you know, on, on myself. I didn't have to experience it. I, I, was, I was like, yeah, that guy, no, nah, I'm good. Yeah. There's more to it, but that's how I, so I learned from people's success and from people's mistakes. And I was looking at these guys and I'm like, dude, you've done so many amazing things in your life. What are you doing here? And I learned about what it's like when you don't put money aside, Mm -hmm. when you don't invest. I learned what it's like when you don't have any music publishing, when you have a great gig, but then that gig ends, which Sutter talks about, you know, Jason Sutter, um, he, he spoke about all that stuff like you need to you need to get fired like that's an important lesson you need to learn how to I mean you don't need to learn but it's a, an amazing lesson when you learn how to accept these things and you get he said it thicker skin and you learn how to handle it yeah so I was learning through their experiences about music publishing I was like what what is this writing I've never really thought about doing writing as, as a, and and that brings me to this day and age, but and it's escorted me this whole. It's been with me this whole time. But yeah, that's that's basically that. Okay. So you're established in LA. Um, do you want to be? You know, you're in the in the Bon Jovi mindset. You right. want to be in a band. I want to be in a band and make it make it big. When does it kind of shift to either session work or hired gun or? So three and a half. So it, it I, uh, hustling, right? So and, and okay. So there's another thing. Uh, when, when I learned this from a guitarist that I was working with in Israel. I told him, hey, I wanna, I'm thinking about moving to America, but in general, I'm thinking about being a guitarist here. And people, everyone knows me as a sound guy and a backliner. And he's like, no one. I said, no one knows I play guitar. He's like, well, dude, yeah, because no one knows you play guitar. You got to get out there and play. And, like, even if it's a cover band, get out there so people know. They're like, oh, shit, he plays? Yeah. Wow. Um, and I took that to heart when I came to to America. I was like, okay, fresh start. Yeah, let's work here. Build that, build, start stepping, uh, climbing up those, uh, climbing up that ladder in Guitar Center or Sam Ash, wherever it would be. But at the same time, um, start building. No one knows me. No one has a clue who I am. Yeah. I need to start building my persona. And that's exactly what I did. Guitar Center was a perfect perfect stepping stone for me because I could get gear for cheaper, you know, employee discount. I met so many people. And I, everyone I met knew, whether they wanted to or not, that I was looking for auditions. I was looking to jam. 
I was looking for sessions. I don't care if it pays or not. I need to get out there so people know that I can that right. I can play. Once they know that I can play, I'll get the calls, which is what happened. Um, but I that's how I built my network. Uh, so I let everyone know, and I grew and grew and grew, and eventually I was playing with people, and they heard about me and how dependable I was. Man, no, he just comes in. He's not drunk. He just comes in and does the job. No egos. Attention to detail. Attention to none. detail. Um, and, you know, he was actually... He was setting up, in rehearsal, he was setting up everything with the sound. He was, like, giving us monitors and stuff. and So all that was a really great, a, a bunch of great assets for me when I came. But I was building up my network three and a half years later, um, having, having some beef with the new store manager. We just weren't seeing eye to eye. And I was working with seven bands at the time. And I said, okay, well, uh, you know, I know... Rock is the band money? Sorry to interrupt. Is the band money anything to sneeze at at that point? Okay, I'll give, I'll give you seven, numbers. You've got I'll seven give you bands, and you know. Well, no, but I'll give you numbers. Now, now seven bands weren't all working at the same time. Some were working here, some working there. But I knew when I had gigs with these guys, I had gigs with those, with these guys. When I had gigs with those guys, I had gigs with those guys. Some rehearsals with these people. Fifty dollars here, two hundred dollars there, makes a nice paycheck. Here are the numbers. When I left Guitar Center, I was making roughly four thousand dollars before tax. So call it thirty six, thirty four hundred. I was living large, man. I was in a studio apartment in a guest house, and uh, my my overhead was fourteen hundred. Mm -hmm. I ran the numbers as I always do, and and Enrique's band, the the guys would always make fun of me because I I talk numbers. I say that to my wife too. She's like, I want to go to Disney. I'm like. It's fine. Just Let's show the me numbers. the numbers. Yeah, show me the numbers, <laughs> and I'll take it from there. I just <laughs> want to see the numbers. Make it make sense to me. So, um, so back then I ran the numbers, and I'm like, okay, well, I'm making. I would say I can make seventeen, eighteen hundred dollars a month. I can count on seventeen, eighteen hundred dollars a month from the bands. Is that enough for me to live on? The answer was yes, and I was like, okay, I think it's time. I remember the moment I made the decision, but that was that's where I was. I, I went from a four thousand dollar a month uh, job to about seventeen hundred dollars a month. I could live on it, and I thought it was the right move. Now, without the job, without the hours you put to the job, could you? Were you also thinking like, the more attention I can put to this, I can, you know, the cost can only go up. Not the cost, the earnings the, the can earnings. only go up. Yes, um, one of the. I mean, I knew that I'd be able to take the eight hours, ten hours a day that I was in a guitar center and put it into music. At that point, I was already recording. I had a little recording rig I was working with. Man, Christy Page and Smack, and I was I was all these people that I had met at guitar center and artists, Christy Page, an amazing artist that I still to this day work with. And um, I was recording them. I was, I was becoming a producer. Okay. I was slowly, I'd never done that. I was learning completely search online and try different things and try this and talk to some people here and some people there. Take my little CD that I burned yesterday and put it in Guitar Center in the uh, uh, in the speaker room and just listen to it from different speakers and see see what, like, like details, right. attention yeah. to detail. So I was learning that skill, which has taken me very far uh, to, to, to this day. Yeah, um, I can see. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I left seven um, seven bands, um, and I knew it would grow from there. I can tell you something that I thought that was going to happen that didn't happen. What? Um, 
I thought, man, once I, I'll be practicing at least three, four hours a day because I'm going to have all this time. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I just don't enjoy practicing. Oh, really? There are certain things these days, I, I think in the last five to ten years, that I don't enjoy. I like learning material. I was, I was learning. Say, do you like when you're given almost an assignment? Like yes. when you do get a gig, here's the ten song. Here's the set list. We're talking about doing a song. We're talking about doing a song I've never played next week. We were talking about it yesterday at one o'clock in, at night, and I learned it uh, by two thirty. I learned it in all the words. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that. There's and I was listening. Okay, I'm gonna pre. I'm gonna put this preset. I'm gonna. I have to presets for it on on the, on the board. I'm going to do this. I'm going to put some verb to you know all the details. I'm listening to what the production, what happened there, and I'm going to try to replicate that mm-hmm. until I'm asked otherwise, and I'm happy to do that too. But yeah, I like assignments. I like doing that. I like goals. My goal is to learn this song. We're playing it next week. Let's get it moving. Uh, practicing, there are definitely goals, but I just don't enjoy it. I've, I don't enjoy it anymore. Um, yeah, as well as jamming, I don't enjoy jamming anymore. I, I just, yeah, I just don't know. My my time is better spent elsewhere. My time is my time priorities have changed right. over the years. Were there any big opportunities, uh, tryouts that you didn't get that you can speak of? Oh, that I that I didn't get the gig. Yeah. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, uh, one of my biggest auditions was for Avril Lavigne when she was big she was changing bands and and um, they, they were changing basically everyone and I got so prepared and I had like a day you know Barry Squire was the guy you were if you he was getting all the he was getting all the auditions for everyone and I got the call and I was like oh man you know I didn't get it but I made a, a friend, Devin Bronson, which at the time was one of the guitarists who was leaving. And I think he was the MD at the time, but he was there at the auditions and we spoke and I'm still in touch with him. It was his birthday a few days ago and I, you know, we spoke briefly. Um, Daughtry. Uh, one of my auditions was for Daughtry. Um, that's, that's funny. So Phil X, which at the time I was closer to, he's just not in LA anymore, but uh, Phil X uh, plays for Bon Jovi these days. Yep. He plays yep. Richie Sambora. Um, we were really close. He's from Canada. Randy Cook's from Canada. I was in the whole Canadian uh, situation there. Great people, really nice people. And um, Phil called me up and he says, "Hey, dude, uh, they're looking for the, the guy. The, the, whatever they went out on a month of, or three weeks or something, and one of the guitar, the rhythm guitarists is leaving. I don't know what, but they're looking for some guys. They're uh, auditioning tomorrow. Um, I'm only recommending a few guys. Are you interested in it?" Yes, it was me and Jason Hook. Attention to detail. I looked up Jason Hook. Oh my God. What are you kidding me? <laughs> That's my competition. My only saving grace there was we were auditioning for the rhythm guitar. That guy is an insane guitarist. I couldn't even believe I was going up against him. But again, it's the rhythm guitar. I know I, know I can do this just as good as him. Mm-hmm. Lead guitar, I've got nothing on that guy. He's insane. Such a good guitarist. But uh, we both went to it. It was like 10 people auditioning. It was a very, very small, only the people that got um, uh, referrals were auditioning. And I didn't get that one. Neither did Jason. But again, that works out in its own way. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, 
I'm trying, trying to think if there was anything else, but those were the two big ones. Yeah. So between you know, I'll, I'll call it the two marquees, you know, Enrique and Smash Mouth. Which one came first? Smash Mouth, 2011. Okay. And do you feel like that was your big break? Because I noticed some of the names I don't recognize that you toured with, record with. But right. I, I see this. These are all stepping stones to get to, and even being yeah. like one of ten to be brought in. You. you are you think? Are you confident still? Like sooner or later, it's going to happen. I'm I'm chipping away at the stone. I'm getting the recommendations. I'm meeting the right people. I'm getting the right rec- recommendations. Are you you know Are you growing frustrated, or are you growing, or is it crescendoing to something that's going to be good? Oh no, I wasn't frustrated at all okay, because I didn't mean Smash Mouth or Enrique to be making money as a musician. I was twenty. I was twenty three when I came. I was uh, three and a half years later. I was twenty seven ish. And I was already hitting the goal that I had set myself at 30 or 33. I was already there. Mm-hmm. I was already making a full-time living. Uh, for, uh, I was a full-time musician right, you're a pro for a living. Professional musician. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't... My goal, again, I, I remember going back to the Guitar Center, I met the people that used to work with Smash Mouth, used to work with Enrique, and didn't plan for when they're no longer doing that. Mm-hmm. I wasn't like, man, I got to get, um, I got, the, the main thing that happened when I left was I started writing a lot. I started getting into licensing heavily, made a lot of connections in that world. And to this day, I'm, I still have those connections and always getting more. Um, so I got heavy into writing and publishing and, and making money in royalties as an investment. And I got into... Uh, but I was touring then, so you may not know some of the names on my website. But man, I went out on full like full months at a time tour right. in a van, some nice vans, some crappy vans, some amazing vans, all lush and cushy, and had my own TV screen. And it had yes, it had been a few years before I got on a tour bus, but I was making a living as a musician. I remember the first time I, I was paid, I got $25 for a rehearsal. I was shocked. I was like, you get paid to rehearse? <laughs> what? So, yeah, I was I was not frustrated at all. This was a dream come true. I'm in L.A., I'm a musician. I get up in the morning, I'm either playing a guitar on, on some recording, I'm writing with someone, or, or I'm preparing for some show, or I'm performing. I mean, that's the dream. Yeah, I'd love to be on a big stage, but I'm living the dream right now. I was the happiest guy in the world. Mm-hmm. I was definitely not frustrated. That's good. So, um, I don't mean to skip over this stuff. Actually, I, was, I wanted to get into it a lot deeper. I wanted to get into the Smash Mouth and Enrique, but we're, we're running a little short on time, yes. and there's, there are certain things that I had found in my research that I want to dig into because I think it's, you know, apropos to, you know, living in and outside of music. But one of the things... It's a quote from you from another article in 2016, and you're saying, I think it's the business side I needed to learn to deal with, not the music. I had already, I had that going already. You already knew the music side. Yeah. It says it was learning how to make uh, that a profitable business, the music business a profitable business. That was a challenge and still is. Yes, uh, and that's something that I, I'm actually, in, 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 in this phase in my life, I'm trying to get more into uh, for years now, uh, into mentoring and the, the next generation, if you will. Mm-hmm. And that is a, a big focus. And again, I'll, I'll reference Mark Schulman, which kind of goes and does, like that's something I aspire to. He's doing all these talks and right. stuff about the music business. Uh, and so is Sutter, for that matter. Those guys are amazing. Um, 
that is something that I needed to learn. I'm still learning, and I'm at this point trying to teach the next generation. And the basics of it are this: everyone, you know, good. You want to be a musician, awesome. There's one thing you have to concentrate on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep practicing, playing with people, playing in your room, like practice, practice, practice. But if you want to make a living from it, you have to learn how to make it a business. It's you have to learn that word business. You got to connect it to what you're doing, and that is where I feel like 95% of musicians and artists fail, because they're talented and they've been working on this craft forever, and the music is amazing, and their playing is amazing. But if you can't figure out how to make money from it, right? You know, you're going to end up doing something else. Which I met some of those guys in Guitar Center. They were buying thirty thousand dollar guitars for me because they were very successful attorneys, and they they had a they had a studio in their eight eight uh, eight room mansion, um, and, and they were very very content and happy. And they knew all these famous people that would come and jam with them on their thirty thousand dollar guitar and their fifty thousand dollar drum set. They were happy. So I'm not saying if you don't make it as a musician, you're going to be doing something a lot lower than that. No, you you might be very successful. But if you want to make it as a musician, you have to learn how to make money from it. Right. And that changes weekly, monthly, yearly. So, yeah, I'm always adapting to it. Okay. The other thing, too, is it sounds like um, you have other business ventures. Oh, yeah. So what uh, – we don't need to get into this, but what else – you know, you, we bring up Jason because, obviously, uh, you know, you guys shared uh, time in Smash Mouth, and he talked about getting a real estate license, mm -hmm. and he's, you know, got a – his dad was an artist, so he can be an art consultant and stuff like that. Right. What's you know what would kind of your real interest in? Where do you okay? Real yeah, estate. real estate. I, I don't have a license, but I, I'm an investor. I, I buy real estate for rentals, flips, whatever. Okay. Um, that's my my main. Uh, How did when did you get into that? I got I got into that in 2015, right before Enrique. Um, actually, it was at the same. It was sort of at the same time because Smash Mouth in 2015 was having a slow year in my uh, terms because I'm lo always looking to make more money and grow and grow and grow. So in my terms, I was like, I don't know, this looks like a little slow start to the year. Uh, let me reach out to a bunch of people. And I did. One of the people that got back to me was Eddie Kaipo. said, hey, Enrique's lead guitarist is leaving. Do you want me to throw your name in? Absolutely. But at the same time, I was also getting into... I learned from a fellow musician about um, investing in real estate. And I was like, man, that's crazy. I just got this book. I wanted to learn more about real estate. I met, met with his wife, and uh, who was a flipper at the time in, in uh, Los Angeles, and who um, flipped houses, that is. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, I got into it. I spent a year looking for houses, and I love it uh, because it's all about the numbers. There's no emotion to it, to in, to investing in real estate. There shouldn't be any emotion to it. It's a, it's a business. You simply put the numbers in. You take everything into account. You try to learn from other people's mistakes. Like, oh, I didn't take this into account. Well, let me just write that down real quick and take that into account next time I run in the numbers. You try to learn from all these investors, and you run the numbers. And if it works, it works. It doesn't, it doesn't. And it's very clear-cut. It's very um, math-oriented and detail-oriented. So I love it. The other thing that I love about it is that there are so many ways to make money from it, like like music. You could be in writing. You can be working for a label. You could be a sound guy. You could be in pyro. There's so many ways to make money in the industry. 
and there's so many ways to make money in, in real estate, so many different ways, and that attracted me. And I'm sure I'll be investing in many different kinds of those ventures over the years. Okay, interesting. Uh, ready to wrap it up? Uh, yeah. Five questions, the yep. final five. Yeah. First question, you live in L.A., so I don't mean this to be uh, hurtful, but <laughs> imagine your house is on fire. Imagine one of these wildfires gets too close. Your house is on fire. All living creatures are safe. What do you run back in and get that's important to you, that's a symbol of your passion for music? Um, a symbol of my passion for music? You know, I'm going to get a little more business, my, business <laughs> about that. Uh, I don't know if I have anything that I couldn't replace, and insurance and whatnot covers that stuff, so I would probably go get my hard drives because it's got... Remember, I said real estate, but the right, other thing right. is I'm investing in writing right. and and future royalties. So I'd get those drives. So that and trumps anything of sentimental value. That can't well, the only replaced. okay. So the sentimental sentimental <laughs> value goes through my wife because I'm not very sentimental. Okay. She is. So I probably get all of her Disney souvenir stuff because she's <laughs> a Disney freak, and that's probably what I would help her out with. I don't think I have anything crazy sentimental. Okay. Well, I've had that answer before. The hard drive. It's like, yeah. that's where all my shit is. That's, yeah. that's that what pays the bills. So, fair enough. Very practical. You can get Very more practical. guitars, but that material that you spent years recording and and the backup drive, you know, yeah. you kind of need to grab that. Okay, question two is, if I were flush with cash and give, could give you a million dollars to give to any one charity of your choosing, who would you give it to? Um, I'd probably split it in two... Uh, one in a million. You can't do that. I can't. I can't. Uh, no, you can. You can answer that way. I can't. It's just because a, of America and such an imaginary question. Because I'm, I'm, I'm by not by coastal, but by, you know, um, I've got dual citizenship. Exactly. So I feel, I feel very connected to both. Uh, for the last few years, I've been, uh, I, I donate some time and money, um, whenever I'm in town, to an organization called My Friend's Place in Israel, which is for youth that's homeless. Okay. And has different problems, and they are such an amazing organization. Um, so I would give them half, if I could, if that would be okay with you, and then half to. Um, I just started working with the Noatobut. It's a, it's a, it's not the same thing. It's in Israel. It is a, um, it, it's a, uh, an organization that helps with bringing a lot more culture. Avail making a lot more culture available to youth, a lot more right. uh, culture. Exposing and, uh, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and they're a wonderful organization. I'm, I'm just getting into their, like I hit them up and I'm going to do, be doing some mentoring with some, some of the musicians there. And they look like an amazing, wonderful organization. So, right, yeah. right. Well, I'll take it up with the Rockonomics Board of Directors and see, if, uh, we can see split, what we can make happen. Split your check. I'm sure they'd be happy. <laughs> Question three is what would your walk-up music be to the Pearly Gates? the afterlife I feel like that changes all the time but um, what's the name of the song um, Keith Urban Till Summer Comes Around I think that's what the song's called okay I gotta look that up I'm it's a beautiful sure. beautiful song my wife always plays she knows I love that song <laughs> <laughs> the reverse of that what's stuck on repeat in hell I heard everyone say this and I have this it's the same question uh, it's the same answer I I, and I thought about this. I was like, and there's nothing. There, re there really isn't anything. Okay. 
I mean, some people have said that, you know, they, they appreciate all everything that's out there and anyone who's recorded something. And I've had some people resort to, like, a jingle, like a radio jingle. or <laughs> Man, I see the money everywhere. No, <laughs> no, there's, there's just nothing that... Uh, I appreciate all the music everywhere. So even if it's not my cup of tea, I appreciate it for what it is. What about something of yours that... That as you as as you like, age, you like, look back and think, "Oh God, what a you know." That's that's a great mistakes. question. That's a great question. <laughs> now I need to no, hear. No, I, I but no, I, I don't <laughs> think there's anything specific. I'm, I'm pretty happy with it, the stuff that I've recorded over the years. Okay, musically. Now, if you ask me about relationships, that's another. Thing. <laughs> Last question: Which musical performance? What's your favorite musical performance as a fan, like that you witnessed? Um, so I guess most profound musical performance you've witnessed as a fan. Yeah, as a fan, like like profound. I would say that's a great word for it. Uh, Rage Against the Machine. Oh, what? in Israel. Oh wow, nice. Yeah, when I, was that? Um, like, with the setting in the nineties, man. I mean, there were there. Uh, my first international show that I went to was No Doubt, which was amazing. Uh, back in their heyday, I mean, back when No Doubt was just a girl like that. You know, they're mm. on TV all the time, and they came to Israel, and that was an amazing show. But Rage Against the Machine, man, I love, I mean, I was listening to them yesterday, I was listening to the day before that. There's something about Tom Morello on guitars, and I mean, just everything. That band was magic. Just magic. It's funny, I have come to them very, very recently. I've always respected them. I remember way back when they first hit the scene, one of the MTV VJs was, was like, this is the future of, of rock and roll, and I always remember that. And I'm kicking myself today is today in that I wish I could appreciate them when they were in the context of what was going on. I mean, they're still they're, they're so still, they're, they're so relevant around. today. Yeah, oh my it's God. crazy. It's so funny. I was in the car with my son, who's only but twelve, and I I just wanted to crank up. Fuck you! I won't do what you tell me. It's like, son, there's a lesson here. Yes, there's a lesson here, and I want you to listen to it. <laughs> yeah, an amazing band. Yeah, yeah and they were they were very influential. I, I wish I had gotten to see Faith No More. They probably would have been just as much. Yeah. But Rage, just pure rock and roll, man. Oh, amazing. Yeah, that's cool. Well, Sean, I, I was going to say I wish I had more time with you. I actually do. So, uh, But it's going to be off tape. But I appreciate you sitting down with me. And, uh, Thank so you. Thanks for having me. Hey, my pleasure. All right. Big thank you goes out to Sean Hurwitz who ended up taking me to lunch and answering a bunch of questions off mic and giving me about three hours of his time. So very big thanks to Sean. Like so many of my guests, he's one of the good guys. Very appreciative of the fans and never taking anything for granted. He's active on social media, so follow him on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. He's got a great website at SeanHerwitz.com with all his news and whereabouts. And as for Smash Mouth, they have a bunch of summer dates planned, so keep an eye out for them playing near you. On the Rockonomics front, we're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Follow us on those, and if you're feeling ambitious, head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a rating and review. We'll be back next week with a great new episode featuring the drummer for a legendary Hall of Fame-inducted band who has some good DNA to build on, so please join us for that. All right, episode 56 is now of historical record. Good night, Cleveland. <laughs>